information about who Steve Gardner is before we get into this episode. So Steve and his wife Elaine would host a small group, which we called a public house for our church, uh, for the last year and a half or so. Every Thursday they would give up their night and a space in their home to go deeper into the Bible and have conversations about what we had talked briefly about the night before in our church's college ministry service. Steve and Elaine were very involved every week in what we were doing and had so much knowledge and experience that they would share with us. Uh, the small group started at 6.30, but oftentimes people stayed until 11, midnight, and even sometimes you know, into the wee hours of the morning, 1, 2, and even 3 o'clock in the morning one time. Uh, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of context into why Steve has been so important and influential to me. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome in to episode five of the Hog and the Mic podcast, hosted by myself, Will Colossa. Today, I am joined by um, Steve Gardner here. So uh, Steve and I met uh, because he was hosting uh, what we called a public house in our church at the time, which is really just a small group that um, allows us to kind of get deeper into scripture and um, have more conversations about um our faith and kind of what we had talked about prior in uh, at our college ministry. So, uh, Steve, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself. Um, just kind of you know, tell them who you are, what you do, stuff like that. Yeah, well, uh, I was born at a very early age. Uh, <laughs> I, I was born premature, three months premature. And but before I get off into into that, you know, we just thought it was going to be a you know, a little little Bible study, but it turned into fifty-five to seventy-five people. You know? Oh yeah, well, it say it, it was tremendous. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, we're the ones that benefited from that most of all, no question about it. But I, I would fight you on that. But go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, my story is is so long i'm just gonna you know hit the, some of the highlights and some of the lowlights and then obviously feel free to to interrupt me or to say steve you're going in the wrong direction or you know i've got a question here or whatever you well, know yeah. whatever you feel comfortable with uh you know don't worry about me don't worry about my ego or anything like <laughs> that you just interrupt me and say, Steve, you know, you're headed in the wrong direction and I don't really want to edit this video or whatever. <laughs> All right. So, but um, my, I, you know, this does play a part in my story. But, you know, my mom was 15. My dad was 18. They, they had sex, okay? My mom was younger. My dad was a little older. And they had sex. And guess what? It was the first time they ever had sex, and I was the result. So I kind of got off on the wrong foot, and they kind of performed a, a shotgun wedding in our family. And, you know, for years I've been embarrassed to reveal this to anyone, but if it helps people, I talk to my mom about it. And if it helps people, or we think it might help people, or if it explains me just a little bit, you know, then she said she's okay with it because she overcame that. Yeah. You know, but um, my mom was 15 when she got pregnant, 16 when she had me. I was supposed to be born in on January 
1959, and I was born in October. So I was I was very um, you know born prematurely, and I had some complications. I stayed in the hospital. I weighed just a little over four pounds. And back in 1958, that was a big deal. Yeah, it's not such a big deal today, but you know, 65 years ago, that was a big deal. Had yeah. a lot of complications and so on and so forth. I had to have surgeries and things like that. And when I got older, and the reason I'm telling you this is because it, it really laid the foundation for my life mm-hmm. and really laid the foundation to a certain extent for some of the struggles that I would go through later. And then some of the things that I would overcome as a result of fierce determination, if you will. Okay. And my dad used to say something like this. He would say, um, failure will never overtake me as long as my determination to succeed is strong enough. And, you know, I always thought that was great. That was kind of seared into my mind. But, you know, when I was a young kid uh, and, you know, I started first grade and I nearly failed nearly failed second grade, nearly failed third grade. Okay. But during that process, I kept improving just a little bit every year. And they discovered that when I, you know, was born, I had some brain damage and that's not surprising to people that know me, but nonetheless, (laughs) um, I I kept improving every year. I kept uh, getting a little bit better. I was still in the lowest level in school. We had three levels back then. I was in the lowest level, the slow learner group, or whatever you call them. And gradually, I bumped up. So by the time I was in fifth grade, I went to the highest level in school. So it took me four years to get there. You know, and in fifth grade, you're starting to think about girls a little bit, impressing the girls. But one of the things that I was challenged by was not only my intellectual development, but my lack of spiritual development. And I, you know, I had cerebral palsy when I was born and the whole right side of my body was smaller than the left. And that's the same, you know, same way that it is today, except you really can't see it unless I go swimming or whatever and you look at my legs. There's a difference between the size of my legs. There's also a difference between my arm on the right side and my arm on the left side, that kind of thing. Wow, I, I never noticed that. Yeah, you know, I had to have surgeries and I did a lot of therapy and a lot of exercises and and I tried to hide that for the longest time. I didn't want anybody to know that. Yeah. You know, and in, in fifth grade, you're you're starting to think about impressing the girls. And of course, I'd have been kind of a loser all my life. I didn't have any self-confidence. My brothers were great athletes. I was not. My dad was a, a great athlete. He was a, he played in college, played ball in college. I was not. So my whole family was was great at sports, and I I couldn't really play anything well, you know. Okay. So yeah. uh, in fifth grade, though, there was a couple of things that happened in fifth grade. I'm going to skip one of them that I don't consider to be relevant. Okay. But in fifth grade, I decided to uh, chunk my brace. Uh, you know, I decided I don't really need this brace anymore. Okay. I, I, I don't believe it's doing me any good. So, uh, you know, I took some extra shoes to school. And on the way back home that day, back in those days, we used to walk to and from school, or I did, you know. And so 
on the way back home from school in uh, Dumas, Texas, I popped my brace in in the uh, trash can mm. in the dumpster. Okay. And, you know, I, I got home and my mom said, Steve, where's your brace? And I said, Mom, it's gone. <laughs> you know, I threw it in the trash. Why? Because I wanted to do the best I could to become normal. And I, I could tell you some stories, but I won't, I won't get into that. Then I, uh, well, I'm going to skip that story. But I, I kept trying to be normal. Okay. And you know that I'm not. You know, I kept trying <laughs> to be like everybody else. Uh -huh. And I wasn't. And I kept failing. I did pretty good in school, but, you know, made average grades. And I didn't have a girlfriend until I was in like eighth grade. And back okay. then, you, you know, my dad used to say, Steve, you're just like a dog chasing a car. You wouldn't know what to do with a girl if you caught her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, and my brother, my younger brother, he was bigger than me, tougher than me, better looking than me, more confident than me, got mm. all the girls he wanted, you know. And so I'm I'm like, oh, you're you're Sammy's brother. And so I was fighting this battle of a low self-esteem, mm -hmm. you know, like when the the what was it, far side? Yeah, yeah, far side used to. Probably not. You probably don't know much about Far Side. Then again, you—it's—it's it's a comic series, and one of them that they put out was, you know, encumbered with low self-esteem. Steve took a job as a speed bump, you know, right. and so now it, that didn't come out until later. But that's why I felt like kind of a speed bump. I just okay. I felt like a loser. Didn't do well in school. Without going into too much uh, detail. By the time I was 16, I was suicidal. I was thinking about taking my life every day, every day, multiple times. Now, you'd think, well, you know, you got a few things going for you. Why would you think that way? Well, I didn't feel like I had anything going for me hardly, you know. Yeah. And so I thought about taking my life every day. But it's relevant, I think, to to what I'm going to talk about, you know, as, as the story unfolds. Gotcha. Are you okay with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, Because, yeah. you know, we have a lot of this in today's society. We have a lot of people who think about taking their life. Yeah. And I never mentioned a word of it to anybody. You're ashamed that you even think that way. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to mention it to my parents, to my brother. And my brother and I were really close. We slept in the same room, mm -hmm. you know, and had had a great relationship. I wasn't going to tell him that. Yeah. I just plotted it in the back of my mind. I really didn't want to do it, but I just, I just didn't have enough to enough confidence to really live. And I was not accomplishing my goals. I could, I got, I was, you know, I just couldn't play sports like I wanted to. I started playing golf and I started doing pretty good there and my therapy had worked, but I still was not having the success that I wanted. So I was thinking about taking my life on a consistent basis. I won't go into the details of what actually happened and how I planned it and all of that. But I was sitting on my bed after really seriously contemplating suicide and loading the gun and all that. And up, we were living in a upstairs apartment because my parents had gotten a divorce. And that was one of the things that really shook me. You know, I, they'd gotten a divorce and you know, so that was just another thing, you know, and I kind of blamed God for it, which was wrong to do, but I was 16 years old, you know, mm -hmm. so 
I'm thinking about taking my life and I'm, I'm sitting there on my bed and I look over at this bookcase at the top of the stairs. And there was this book. I would see it every time I would come up the stairs and turn the corner to come into our room. Okay. I would see this book that had a yellow spine and on the, on the outside of it, it had this title, how to stop worrying and start living. Okay. And so I put the gun down. I didn't put it away, but I put the gun down and I went over to the to the uh, bookshelf and I picked that book off the shelf. Okay. And my dad had gotten the book when he took a Dale Carnegie course, you know, and so I was just, you know, pulling that. Okay, that sounds good to me. If I learned to overcome worry, you know, maybe I can have an easier life. Yeah. And when I read the first two or three pages that's when the game began to change. I kid you not. And I don't know if I showed it to you, but I still got this book here at my house, that very same book. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't write in it because it was my dad's book. And I yeah. didn't want him to know that I was reading it because that's not cool. Mm -hmm. You know, so I began to read the book. And, and by the time I was finished with the introduction, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if somebody had taught me how to think this way, I wouldn't be such a loser, you know? Yeah. And, and I was kind of blaming other people. Why hadn't somebody taught me how to think this way? My parents used to say, Steve, if you can't say anything nice, because I was real negative, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, right? Yeah. So I was a very quiet child. I just, I, I was, I looked at the world from a very negative point of view. And so I read the, the intro to that book, and I thought, man, this has given me hope. And by the end of the first chapter, I thought, my life has changed as of today. Gotcha. And I'm 16, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling with a few things, but that day my life changed. Yeah. And I, I took note cards, you know, I took that book and some key principles in that book. I took those principles and I put them on a little note card because I, you know, I didn't want my dad to, I didn't want to mark up the book and I wanted to make sure that I was applying what was in the book. So I put key principles down on that three by five note card and stuck it in my left pocket so that when I went to school the next day, I could, I could pull it out every now and then and read it. Yeah. And that's, that was, that's what I've done since the age of 16. Yeah, I was going to say, so that was the first time that you started, because I know you you showed us that just last year that you were still writing things down. and Yeah, I still do it. Yeah. <laughs> I still do it. Very cool. You know, all these years later. Why? Because it saved my daggone life, mm -hmm. you know, it saved my life. And and so I've kept these cards, not the same ones, they change. <laughs> but I keep these cards in my pocket for what is it now 55 years or something like that maybe yeah. not 50, 50 years nonetheless that was that laid the foundation for my life now I'm going to fast forward this and, and and you know so from that day forward I still struggled some but I began to read books on how to succeed and I read about 10 of them between the age of 16 and the age of 18 and by the time I'm 18 years old, I'm thinking, I'm bad. You know, I'm bad. I'm, you know, I'd gotten some girlfriends. I'd been elected president of this organization. And my gosh, I'm feeling good. 
until I go to my high school graduation. It was only 191 graduates, and I was right in the middle, wow. average, the cream of the crap, right? You know, <laughs> average. I was just the bottom of the top, average. Okay, uh -huh. so I see Scotty Green go across stage with honors. I wasn't getting any honors. Uh -huh. I'm thinking Scotty Green, he was a big athlete, you know. I liked him, but I'm Scotty Green got. He graduated with honors? No. <laughs> Logan Harbin graduated with honors? Yeah. These were athletes. These were dudes. I didn't think that, you know, LaDonna <laughs> Williams was the valedictorian. you got to be kidding me. So right there, I'm thinking, I'm going to go to Texas Tech University. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make the dean's list. I'm going to become really smart. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of what I did. I went to, I didn't become really smart, but I tried. <laughs> I got to Texas Tech University. Made the dean's list, first semester, second semester, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I decided while I was doing that, I'm going to get a master's degree. While I was getting a master's degree, I I actually, I continued to read books and apply. But while I was getting a master's degree, I started a business. And that business did really, really well. And then a number of years later, after I got my master's degree, built this business out, I started another business. And altogether, I've done about, you know, not quite $700 million worth of business. Now, that's not income. That's that's revenue. So, yeah. But I did become a millionaire. And then I went bankrupt. Oh, Steve, you shouldn't have told them that. <laughs> you know, well, that was, that's the story. That's the only story I can tell. You know, there's so many things that I could, I could uh, tell you about that. I mean, you know, we had the great lifestyle. We had the. We had the big houses. We had the nice cars, all of that. Why am I telling you that? Because I succeeded. And then I had to start all over again. Well, there was this guy in high school by the name of Tony, Tony Watson in high school. And he was talking to a friend of mine. They didn't know that they were both acquainted with me. And <laughs> so this business partner of mine was talking to Tony Watson, who I went to school with. And he, this guy told my story and he said, no, you mean, you mean Steve Gardner, Sammy's brother? You mean that guy has yeah. done something with his life? <laughs> and I, they, they told me that story and then I turned it into a speech and I did a speech in front of 6,000 people entitled, yes, Tony, I did something with my life, you know, <laughs> so, so, and I've gone on to write books, and I've I've started an organization that is international now. I, I you know, and I'm about to launch a program called Path to Greatness, blah, blah, blah. So I overcame the garbage that I went through in my early days. Mm. I turned my setbacks into comebacks, and anybody watching this can do it. You've done it. Will, yeah. you have done it. You've turned your setbacks into comebacks, mm -hmm. you know, so... Now, that's that's probably too much information. <laughs> now, it's your turn. Yeah, so one of the things that um, that you said earlier about, um, I think when you said you read the book, and one of the things that you said was, man, I wish someone had told me these kinds of things or, or had pointed these things out to me about, you know, not being, um, overcoming worry or whatever and, and starting to live. That was that message is something that I kind of want to do with this is Wait. one of the main problems is I, I don't think people get that 
very much. They, you know, they feel like they have to figure it out by themselves. Um, so is that, do you feel like you were, I guess, you know, using the example of hosting our public house at, at your house, did you feel obligated to, to do that so that you could spread that kind of message or like, did, why did you do that? Was, did you feel like you had some kind of obligation to, um, you know, pass that knowledge on to other people? Yes and no. Uh, I know that's not really answering the question, but, you know, once I'd kind of finished a lot of my business career, I wanted to move from success Mm -hmm. to significance. And that's, you know, because I don't think I was put on here uh, on this earth just to make money. I I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to contribute to the lives of other people. There's kind of a whole long story about how we became involved in this, how we became involved in C3 in the college ministry at the university of Arkansas. And, you know, the, but, but that's, I, here's something I forgot when I was kind of recapping my story. When I was 19, I, you know, I'd been reading positive books for three years at that point, And I was changing and growing and making good grades at Texas tech. And there was this guy that I had, that I was good friends with and he was blind and we stayed up late one night and he was thinking about taking his life. And I I just, it still bothers me to this day because I know what it feels like to feel that desperate. He was, th- I had an exam the next morning I was supposed to study for. He was thinking about taking his life. And I, I stayed up late talking to him, didn't study much for the test, all of that. And the next day my prayer was, God, if you can help me overcome my pain, I will spend the rest of my life helping other people overcome theirs. And that was kind of the, you know, there's a lot more that unfolded as a result of that, but to a certain degree, that's, you know, that's what we did. I mean, we built two businesses and, and all of that, but I was very, very in tune with our employees and our partners and so on. So, Yes, I, I want to give back. I want to go from success to significance. Mm-hmm. Okay, success, bankruptcy, success, significance. So you got to throw the bankruptcy in there, which was really, really weird and wild and unfortunate and yeah. very difficult for me to, to go through. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, one of the other like personal goals that I have, you know, talking to you and, and talking to other people is to figure out um, why people like you who have had a, a major impact on me, like why that is um, or, or how the the things that you've told me and the things that you've taught me, um, how, how and why those are standing out above other things, you know, other advice or other stories that people have told me. Do you feel like, do you, would you say you know the reason that your story is why people gravitate to your story or to your advice because i think i mean i think it was evident um with the other people in in the public house that you know what you were saying really gripped people um i mean we we would stay at your place just talking to you and elaine for hours and you know after our you know curriculum was over but um do you do you think you know why that's something that 
um, those, you know, that the college kids that were there cared so much about it? Well, I think it's because we, you know, we cared. People don't know how much or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think I think the fact that we cared enough opened up our home. Uh, the fact that we had now you didn't know this initially, but that we had succeeded mm. and made a lot of money and then failed. And and, you know, and our sincerity, we tried to remember everybody's name. Uh, we we had a long prayer request when people would mention things, and you you wouldn't see this, but I'd reach I'd reach in my pocket, pull out. I always have a blank note card in my pocket, and I would write prayer requests down as I you know we we cared mm -hmm. about those young people, and we cared about you, and I think that is that is you know I'm not a fantastic speaker. I mean I can t tell you about. I mean I did I did when. Top three in a speaking contest with 250 other people, but you know we won't. It's that's just I'm I'm not really that great. So you know, in the few times that I you know shared what we were what we'd been through in our life and so on, we didn't get a lot of time time to talk because of the nature of the of C3 group, which I'm forever grateful for. But I think it's because we cared, because we're genuine, because we we admit that we've made mistakes and we've succeeded because if we hadn't succeeded, why would anybody listen? Yeah. I've got a friend that lives in a $22 million house. And he said, why do I live in a $22 million house? Because people listen, you know, and he wants to get his message across. Now that's not the only reason you know, he lives in a $22 million house, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, we want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's, this is part of the, you know, God, if you'll help me overcome my pain, I'll spend the rest of my life helping other people overcome theirs. Yeah. Yeah, we want to give back. And mm -hmm. in my generation, the baby boomers, we let your generation down. We let down the millennials. We have, we have done a bad job. We, we spent too much money in the government. There's way too much government debt. We, we were a selfish generation. My generation was a selfish generation. And in one of the books that I wrote, 50 Shades of God, toward the end, I apologize to your generation for how we let your generation down. So I've always felt a little bit of a necessity to give back. Gotcha. But then also when, when you guys came over, we, we felt like you guys loved us and listened to us. And so it made us feel great. Yeah. You know, and, and one time, I don't think, no, you didn't stay for this. But one time we had some people over here till three o'clock in the morning. Another wow. time, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So it was, you know, it, it, most of the people would leave by like, you know, 9.30 or 10. Then uh -huh. some would, have, you know, gradually. We we were fed by that. We, yeah. you know, we, we would wake up the next morning and feel so great about that. And we're not near done. And gotcha. we're, we're going to, we're making a plan now. In fact, I'm doing a challenge in the next couple of weeks called the power of purpose. And it is singularly focused on your generation between the ages of 20 and 30 that we have let down. Mm -hmm. I wrote that book in 2015. So, you know, chapter 29 toward the end of that book, I, I have a four page apology to the generations that my generation let down because we were too daggum selfish. Okay. So, stop. okay. When you say that, what, um, what do you think are what do you think your generation should have done or or did wrong specifically that 
I guess, what do you think that your generation should have done in differently? Number one, uh, we we were too selfish. We were we were too selfish, too focused on you know <laughs> on fulfilling sexual desires, too focused on secularism, and too selfish. That, that's just you know secularism, sex, and now everybody has sex, right? Okay, but you know there's times when it's good and times when it's not. So. But our generation was the me generation. They called us the me generation, the hippies, you know, the uh, the the girls, you know, that went around without bras. Now I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that. But <laughs> it, it wasn't. We just were selfish, you know. I think, uh -huh. and, and so we, we. And then the government spent too much money on us, and we demanded certain things. And there are not enough people my generation that you can call them on and say, this guy or this girl is culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. My generation just didn't. You know, I've got plenty of examples of people I can point to that say, this person changed my life because they were culturally relevant mm -hmm. and they spoke about it. My generation has not been culturally relevant, really. Yeah. You know, so I don't really know all of the you know, all of the reasons why I'm just now kind of getting into that as I'm preparing this challenge on the power of purpose. But, okay. you know, I just I felt a burden that we we messed up, you know, and the courts, the Supreme Court started going, you know, a little too far to the left to a certain degree. And I could go through that when they kind of outlawed the Bible, when they kind of outlawed prayer in the public schools, blah, blah, blah. When abortion came along, blah, blah, blah. I could go through that. It wasn't just the baby boomers, it was the courts, but you know, too many people in my generation were too in love with making money and not in, in love enough with God mm. and not in love enough with the kids. And, and so this is what is our nation is a result. Yeah. Why do you think the boomers are doing like, okay, boomer, you know, the, the, you know, your generation is like, Oh, these boomers, you know, y'all know, you know, you know, and we've been that way. Yeah. And I'm admitting it. And I've I've said that for years. So I'll get my message together and then I'll let you know. But do you, do you think that the you know my generation and do you think that we we are taking on that selfishness? Because that's what I see now is I, I feel like maybe just with social media being able to broadcast so many more, you know, people can say what they want and find a much larger audience, but I see selfishness as something that is still very prevalent or at least in my experience, more prevalent now. It is, you know, it, it is, man, they caught our disease. Yeah. And we did not, you know, there's, there's this thing going on called the de-churching of America. Well, largely it's because of our generation. It started with our generation and then it's just kind of gotten worse. I think as time has gone on, and because we didn't care enough and because we didn't live the values as well as we should, and because we didn't care enough for our kids, then we, we're experiencing these, uh, you know, a little bit more narcissism as a result, because okay. a lot of a lot of the generation that came after me, the millennials, so to speak, they didn't go to church much as much as the boomers, because the boomers were kind of they, they kind of had us you know, a selfish type of uh, religion, if you will, selfish type of Christianity that wasn't as genuine as it should have been. 
And so they go like, the millionaires were going like, why should I buy into that? And then it's just gotten worse, you know, since then. And you're not, your generation's not, probably not any more selfish than we were, but we started it, you know, and, and it's just been a contagion. And it's like, why should I listen to these people? Mm. You know, so, and everybody with respect to their parents, everybody wants to, look at their parents and say, okay, my parents did this, 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 and this wrong. Mm -hmm. And all they focus on is what the parents did wrong. They don't focus on what the parents did right. I did the same thing. So Mm -hmm. at any rate, that's just my knee-jerk reaction to that. I've got to think about it more, you know. Uh, But I don't, I don't, if, if, if these young people grew up seeing selfishness, then they're more likely to be selfish at the same time i think more of them are getting fed up and they're committing to causes maybe perhaps in a way that we didn't Mm. i don't know i i'm still trying to figure it out but i know that we were wrong Mm. that we you know the generations that went before us what one of them is called the greatest generation that fought in world war ii Mm. the other one is called the silent generation well they weren't so silent after all you know, there were a lot of good examples that yeah. we could follow. We didn't always like the way they dressed and what they did. and But they had these values that we we could follow. Whereas like my generation, I'm being too critical about my generation, but I feel that way. So I'm just, you know, gotcha. being honest about it. Yeah. And I think we let you, let everybody down. We let America down. Mm. And, and now... Well, I won't get into politics, but, you know, so, that's a long, a long topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and, and another term that you used recently, uh, or, you know, just a couple minutes ago is culturally relevant. And I know um, one of the, that was something that you were talking about. Uh, I guess it was what well, just last semester, um, you know, that you, you felt like that was, you know, you, you had to become more culturally relevant. Um can you give kind of an update as to how you're going about that or where you are in that or just overall what that means? Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't really, when I saw Emma Stone say to her dad in the movie Birdman, which the the movie wasn't that great, but this one little clip where Emma Stone is talking to Michael Keaton, her dad, and he's, he's an aging movie star that's lost his relevance or whatever. He was Birdman, so to speak, Batman, whatever. But the movie's Birdman. And she she looks at him and she's mad at him because, you know, Dad, you're all worried about whether or not you matter. Mm. And, and you don't, you know, because he made himself culturally irrelevant. And that just burned uh, something in my brain. So I thought, okay, how can I become culturally relevant? One of the ways that I'm doing this, I've put together a program called the Path to Greatness, which is what we, you know, it's it's really kind of the success principles that have worked over the course of my life. And we're going to be launching that in the next, uh, I won't go into how we, <laughs> I showed it to four web developers. Three of them said, hey, that looks great. Let's make a few tweaks. And here's how much, you know, we'll charge you for that. No problem. Then the fourth one said, Ah, this is dead on arrival. What? I put so much time into this, you don't <laughs> understand this. Well, it doesn't work the same way. Marketing online, 
and, and going viral online doesn't work the way that it used to. So this thing is not going to fly. And I'm like, what? I thought I was two days from, so I won't go off and all that, but we're about to, we're getting ready for the launch path to greatness is it teaches people how to go from good to great at what they do. Gotcha. And so, you know, I didn't mean for that to be an advertisement, but that's, that's one of the ways that I want to become culturally relevant. And most of the people seeing this right now never heard of me, but in five years, you will get sick of me (laughs) because, because I'm going to make myself culturally relevant. And for the first time in history, we've got the web that can, that can reach the cell, you know, more than 5 billion cell phones in people's pockets and purses. So let's, I mean, never is there, has it been more possible to be able to touch so many lives? So at the age of 65, I'm about to turn 65. At the age of 65, I'm going to be more relevant than I've ever been. And so there's a whole plan, path to greatness, path to godliness, first quest university, so there's a, there's, and you see all these books by me. You've been in my house. Yeah. I, you know, I do, I do research, you know, so I'm very curious and I want to take the best of this. I've taken the best of this information and I'm about to publish it online. Yeah. So, can just quickly, can you kind of describe all of what you've got back there in those bookshelves? Wow. Quickly, you know, it just happened because, uh, you know, I started out with one notebook and, you know, built it and it just evolved over time. You know, I guess when I was in my 30s, I started putting together one notebook, two notebooks, and it covers everything from from science, you know, physics and evolution and creation and the existence of God, and apologetics and the Bible and a lot of the stuff behind me. You know, there's too much. There's too many no books but just overall each each one of those binders is labeled with some topic and then within there's a, a pages of research about that specific topic right okay yeah 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 that's you know it's a, it's an obsession of mine i apologize to my wife on a consistent basis you know <laughs> but she's she's in she's in with the cause you know i yeah. mean she's not she's seen me develop she knows who I am. She knows what I've wanted to do all these years. And now I'm about to do it. But every notebook, you know, some notebooks are more developed than others. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff directly behind me is the, the principles of greatness. Mm-hmm. And I use 103 celebrities, 102 celebrities, athletes, leaders, musicians, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Michael Jordan, Taylor Swift people that are culturally relevant mm-hmm. so that other people will listen. How did they succeed? Yeah. What drove Michael Jordan? So, you know, a lot of the stuff behind me and over to the side is, is uh, research on how people became great. Gotcha. Cool. And, and then, then stuff I couldn't squeeze into here, you know, <laughs> it's, it's in my wife's office. It's in the dining room. You yeah. know. Yep. I, I've, I've seen them all. There's, I don't know how many of those you've got, but it's a lot. Almost nine, almost 900. Jeez. Okay. Well, there you go. There, there's some in the garage now and I can't, oh, really? I can't get, I can't get rid of them. <laughs> so um, I guess just to wrap up, what would you say is the most important piece of advice that you could give to someone, or I guess either that you have been given yourself or that you would give to someone now? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get a little spiritual on you. 
You asked me, so I'm going to tell. Sounds good. My granddad was about to die. And so I got a video camera back in the days when you had a big old video camera. This was 1997. I got my video camera set up and I interviewed my both sets of my grandparents. And and they were they were phenomenal. And my granddad is just a few months away from dying. Okay. And you know, we've done this great interview and it's just precious. And, and my grandmother gets on there and she describes some things and she starts crying and it's just made me feel like, man, this is I should have done this a long time ago. And then he looks into the camera just straight into the camera and points into the camera. And he says, Steve, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. And he said, Steve, that's not second. That's not third. That's not fourth. That's first. And so, you know, my bank account, Matthew 633, M-A-T-T 63. So I know I just told everybody, but, you know, that that's what I used to log in because that was 97. I wanted to remember that. Matthew 633, every day of my life, that's what I should be seeking to do. But let's not just walk with God and put Jesus first. Let's put other people first. Yeah. You know, and, and as far as success, I mean, uh, you know, you, you can't just you can't just be a Christian without trying to succeed. You can't just become a Christian and sit back and let God do it. He's waiting on you to become great. He wants you to step out there. And when you've done the best you could, then he can step in and help you. Gotcha. But, you know, you, you got to you got to be committed to success principles. And, you know, the most important thing in succeeding is why do you want it? What mm. is your reason? What is your purpose? Yeah. And Tim McGraw sang a song. Um, oh gosh, what was it? Um, how bad do you want it? How bad do you need it? Yeah. You know, and, and that really is where everything starts because if you don't have enough fire, if you don't have enough reason mm -hmm. to do something, you're not going to become great. Yeah. Michael Jordan, I, I you know, oh my, I love Michael Jordan. You know, and he, there were seven things that drove him to success. That's one of the things that I exposed in this program. Seven things that drove him to success. And if he didn't have those things, he wouldn't be successful. Yeah. And people are just, you know, sitting back, not doing enough to become great on their own. It all starts with the dream. Mm. It all starts with, with deciding what you want your life to be about. What yeah. is your purpose? So, Gotcha. You know, if if you don't have the purpose, then you're going to live an average life. <laughs> average, average, you know, is not good if, unless you've done the best you could. Mm -hmm. But most of us have not done the best that we could. Yeah. And God kind of expects us to go from good to great. Mm -hmm. He says it in his word. He, want, he doesn't want us to be average. We can't impact the world for the most part if we're average. So mm -hmm. at any rate, enough of that. Very cool. Well. Uh, this has been awesome. Um, I really do appreciate you coming on and uh, thank you, know, you talking with me. Um, thank you for who you are and the obstacles you've overcome to to be who you are now. And thank you for being culturally relevant. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, for, that's and, you know this. Go ahead. I, I, you know that that's what I'm going for. I that was something that you know when I heard you say that last semester, it was. Um, I was a little 
not confused, but I didn't understand exactly what you meant by that, but it was definitely something that I remembered um, and, you know, that, that I've tried to take to heart. So. Well, why not? You know, why, why not become culturally relevant? There's never been a better time and there's never been more of a need yeah. for people getting the right information into their minds and hearts mm -hmm. than there is today. You know, with the mental health issues that we have in our society, you think it was back, you know, 60 years ago when I grew up, man, it, it's worse now. People got more to worry about. Yeah. And they're thinking they're, they've got stinking thinking, halitosis of the mind, because that's what the way they've been taught. And they need to learn to 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 get rid of uh, the stinking thinking and not to worry so much. Yeah. But that's easier. To say. You can't just say, I'm not going to worry anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can try that, but it, it, it takes some note cards in your pocket, <laughs> pulling them out. And, you know, that's what I have to do to redirect my thoughts. Yeah. So I'm grateful for you and the fact that you're stepping up to become culturally relevant. You've always been cool. <laughs> you know, you've always been cool. You just have this uh, je ne sais quoi or, you know, because some people walk in the door and they look like me, average, you know, or whatever. I, I, I disagree. You walk in the door and you go, okay, this guy's somebody. <laughs> He's got a presence about him. And, and you guys, you know, you and Tyler and Lucas and blah, 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 we're real proud of you. Yeah. Real well, proud. We, we really appreciate that. Um, you know, it means a lot coming from from you and and and, uh, and Elaine. So, um, thank you. Yeah, you tell her that I said hello as well. I'll do it. I'll do it. She's